Well, hey, we're, we're in week two of a seven-week series, and I'm just going to jump right into it because we've had enough announcements. We're in week two of a seven-week series titled Unstuck. And in this series, we're talking about some of the things that kind of put us in bondage if we're not careful. And uh, last week, well, we talked about one called apathy, which is kind of this meh attitude, this laziness, this apathy that, that can come upon us. And what we're doing is over the course of seven weeks talking about the, these things that prevent us from experiencing the full freedom that God would want for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so there's seven common issues that I've identified for, for this series the, that we are working through, including apathy and labels that have a way of shaming us and bitterness, which is a poison to our souls, and various lusts that fracture relationships and fracture us, and the ache of loneliness, and one or two others that maybe I'm forgetting about right now. But last week again, we talked about this scourge of apathy that has swept across our culture. And we noted that apathy is this indifference, this whatever attitude about what's happening in my own soul. Like, who cares? Meh. It's this whatever attitude about what's happening in the world around me, what's happening in my neighborhood, what's happening in my family, what's happening in broken relationships, where I just say, I'm not going to work toward that because we get overcome by lesser things, by trivial entertainment and trivial comforts in our culture so much so that We've been described, unfortunately, as the apathetic generation. And we're just saying here at Carnegie Free, we're fighting against that. We ain't for that. We're going against that because we believe God has called us to way more than that. Isn't that right? We believe God has called us to way more than that. And so this is what we talked about last week. You might go back and listen to that message if you weren't here and you're struggling with this one right now. We begin to overcome apathy by identifying God's bigger purpose for our lives for our families, for our missions, his bigger purpose, and then living that out with passion. And then building good spiritual habits from there that begins to discipline our lives against that which would addict us so very easily. And that's something that we all have to come to grips with from time to time. I heard from many of you last week that you're starting to get unstuck. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I heard from several of you last week that said, yeah, I needed that message because that's where I've been living. If you've been living there and you haven't begun building the spiritual habits yet, well, glad you're here again today. There's no better day to start than today. You know, it's always better to plant a tree 20 years ago. But the second best day, as you've heard, to plant a tree is today. So we start today to plant a tree and overcome these areas that we've gotten stuck. The Bible says this. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Mmm. Mmm. Man. I want that. The no weapon formed against me, no weapon formed against my family, no weapon formed against this church will prosper because we are overcomers through the grace of Jesus Christ. As we just read from the words of Jesus in John chapter 8, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We are free in Him. He came that we would have life and life to the full. And yet, that said, many of us don't feel like overcomers today. Many of us feel like we really are stuck. And the thing that we feel like we're stuck in today is this thief 
of comparison. That I compare myself to you, and I feel pretty good about myself. Or not so good about myself. You know what I mean? Both ways. Both ways. And we're going to talk about that today. The thief of comparison. And to get us started, take a look at this video, which captures it quite well. I wake up. I sacrifice. I get them ready. I try to have it all under control. To at least look like I can handle it. It looks so easy for other moms. But I'm struggling. It feels like I'm failing. At the end of the day, I ask myself, am I enough? I never settle. I never compromise. I show them I'm strong and qualified. I work harder, stay longer, and push away distractions. I don't have time for anything else, for anyone else. If I can keep this up just a few more years, they'll be convinced. They'll no longer wonder, am I enough? I envy. I covet. I compare. I put on the mask. I push myself to look like that. Fit into that. Be like that. I work myself to the point of exhaustion, till I can't take it anymore. And for what? For whom? Because at the end of the night, I still don't know. Am I enough? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am near to all who call upon my name. My mercies are new every morning. My love never fails. Am I enough? Those are haunting portraits, aren't they? Am I enough? And, and this isn't a female problem. This isn't a male problem. This is a universal problem. This is a universal issue. Am I enough? Because we all live in the same culture. And it's one that has a great way of sizing us up and putting us back down. So at different times, as we take the mask off of our face that we're told we have to wear all the time, as we take the curtains back and enter into our homes, the truth is all of us will ask from time to time, am I enough? Many years ago, I wasn't sure if I could be a pastor because I was quite sure I wasn't enough. And for a couple of years, 
All I did is I felt the call of God to go into pastoral ministry, and I was doing another profession. I was going down a different career track and did that for a number of years before I went into ministry, before I went to seminary. But as I was hearing the call of God, I thought, no, I couldn't do that because I'm not enough compared to so-and-so or pastor so-and-so. In one way or another, all of us will struggle with this. And some of us today are stuck in a straitjacket called comparison. My prayer for you this past week is that some of us today would be unstuck, that we begin to believe certain truths and we would start on our way to certain practices to getting unstuck. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. The Bible's so practical. Sometimes people say the Bible's not practical. They're lying. The Bible's so practical. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. And you're going to see just an incredible passage here about the curse of comparison, the thief of comparison, and how the Apostle Paul gets unstuck. And what we do here is, well, we look at a passage or two of Scripture each week, and we try to mark it up and get through it and seek to understand a little bit better. And 1 Corinthians goes through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then the book of Acts, then the book of Romans is Paul's first letter, and then 1 Corinthians. Turn there with me. If if you get to 2 Corinthians, you've gone a little bit too far. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, though, this morning, a few passages in which the context in the church is this. There's some in the church who are various leaders and followers, and they're saying, oh, I follow Pastor Paul. He's the best. Uh, No, I follow Pastor Peter. He's the best. I follow Pastor Apollos, and you should too. I was baptized by Apollos. My baptism is way better than yours. Uh, If you were really spiritual, you would do this that Pastor Peter told us to do. If you were really spiritual, you'd be doing journaling. If you are really spiritual, you'd go on a spiritual retreat two times a year. If you are really... If you're really smart, you'd go to this school. If you were really hip, you'd wear these clothes. You'd have this phone. You'd have these tattoos. You'd whatever, right? You know what I'm talking about? That wouldn't happen today, would it? Come on. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. What after all is Apollos? What is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants. That's it. Only servants. Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Paul says, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything special, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Verse 21 now, look at verse 21. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. No more boasting about Paul or Cephas, Peter, as Cephas is called, or Apollos. All things are yours. No more boasting about all of those. Here's the Apostle Paul saying these things. And you think about this. That this is one of probably a half dozen people that you could honestly say without exaggeration, he shaped the history of Western civilization. The Apostle Paul did. There's no question about it, along with a handful of others, he made that kind of impact on all of Western civilization 
and now Eastern and Southern civilization across the world. He's one of a half dozen or more shakers and influencers across world history. And he says, what is Paul? And what's his answer? Servant. Paul's a servant. That's all. Nothing more, nothing less. A servant of Christ Jesus. That's all I am. Another man on this challenging, bumpy ride called life with all of the challenges therein. So you need not call me, Paul says, most excellent rabbi. You need not call me pastor so-and-so. You need not call me professor or doctor so-and-so. I am just another servant of Christ Jesus. I do not diminish myself compared to anyone else, nor do I elevate myself compared to anyone else. Woo! Wouldn't you want to live that way? Uh, Please hear me clearly in this message today. Once you enter into the game of comparison, you'll never get out. Like, it wants to keep you in the game for good. You have to choose directly to get out. It won't happen naturally. And, and, And this world just has a way, again, of sizing us up and putting us down, and we enter into the game of comparison, and it goes nonstop. It's like Monopoly. I love my boys so much, I'll play just about any game with them. If, if they ask me to play, I'm, I'm not too busy to play board games with them. Unless they ask me to play Monopoly, then I'm too busy. Because that's the game that never stops, right? You, you know? Come on. That's comparison on steroids. Comparison is Monopoly on steroids. It never stops. Once you enter into it, it just you're always looking up and saying, why can't I be more like them? Looking down, why can't I be more like them? The man who taught me more than anyone else about my spiritual life and about being a pastor, the man who grew me up as my mentor is a man named Tom Shirk. And I was under his leadership for many, many years, and, and, and he discipled me and mentored me. I'm so, so grateful for him. And I, I remember a conversation well with Tom, which he's having a conversation with one of his sons. And Tom lives in Boulder County, Colorado, which is one of the wealthiest counties in America. And he's on the outskirts of Boulder County because none of the pastors to Boulder can live in Boulder. They can't afford it. And so his son is asking him one day, Dad, why can't we have this like all my friends have? Why can't we go on these vacations like all my friends go on these vacations? Why don't we have this or that like like Johnny or Jimmy? And I'll never forget what my mentor Tom said to his son. He said, son, do not play that game. That game will never give up on you, son. You will always find someone who has a little bit more. And you will always find someone who has a little bit less. And there is no life in that. Mm. If you can give advice to your kids, parents, give them that advice. If you can give advice to yourself, Give yourself that advice. Because some of us are going to be able to go on a winter vacation though this January in which we're looking over our toes on beautiful sandy beaches, looking out at the ocean. And then you're going to post it on Instagram and I'm going to feel like, mmm. And others of us are going to go on vacation in a 1965 VW bus and we're going to camp in it and sleep in it. And we're like, ugh. 
And others of us can be working seven days a week for a month at Baldwin, and you're not even thinking about a vacation. So just don't play that game. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't help anyone. Just don't play that game. The reason you don't play that game is because comparison always results in one of two things, and both of them are sinful before God. Please hear me. Comparison always results in either pride or envy. One of those two things. And while we might like pride a little bit more than we like the experience of envy, pride is utterly repulsive to God. You you see, it's always going to end in one of two things, pride or envy. Either I am thinking how great I am and how not so great you are and how much more pretty I am than, than you or how much more smart I am or how much more obedient my kids are, which is pride. Or, boy, your kids are so much more obedient than mine. You're so much better looking than me. You have so many more skills than I do. You have so much better stuff than I do. And, and, and what's the common denominator there? It's me. It's me, myself, and I. Interestingly, pride and envy are just two derivations of the same thing. They're both self-sins. The vortex is self. It's the ego that is offended. And so we compare. And as long as you are comparing up and feeling envy, or you're comparing down and feeling pride, then where are you not looking? Anyone? You're not looking up. You're not worshiping. You're not worshiping God. You're sizing yourself up compared to others and feeling either pride or envy, but you're not looking up at God. Comparison is a thief of joy. I I say this a lot. This is one of my core beliefs, one of my core convictions. Comparison is a thief of joy every time. And it's a thief for two different reasons. One, it robs God of his divine role that is for him alone, the role of judge. And second, it robs us of our joy. Comparison, once again, in the city of Corinth and in the church in Corinth is just growing on trees. There's all kinds of pride and envy and gossip within the church in Corinth. It's the very kind of stuff that makes people want to leave the church and not come back when they hear pride and envy and gossip. They don't want anything to do with it. That's what's going on in this church of maybe 50 to 100 people. And Paul says, fight against that wicked thief because it robs God of his role and it robs us of our joy. Listen once again to the scriptures, moving on to chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ Jesus. Not as someone great, not as someone special. You say, oh, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos or, or Peter. Just regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust who have been given an inheritance, must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court of opinion. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. I can't do it. My conscience is clear. That doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. 
Now, what's the fundamental problem that Paul is identifying with comparison? It's this. Comparison almost always leads to judgmentalism. Almost always does. And the problem with judgmentalism is it is taking God's job onto ourselves. You you see, we're told not to, to judge because that's God's job, and it's not our job. And we sometimes say, well, God, I can do it. I can do it better than you. You're not doing a very good job of judging these people over here. I can do it much better than you. But it's not our job. And the reason that it's not our job is this. We're not very good at it. And the reason we're not very good at it is because we are not omniscient. Omniscient means all-knowing. But there is one who is omniscient. So do you know anyone else's full story? Somebody say, no, I don't. You don't know anyone else's full story. You don't know their family history. You don't know their scars. You don't know their victories. You don't know the things that affect them. You don't know their genetics that got them to the point that they are today. Only God knows those things, which is what makes him a really good judge and makes us really, really lousy judges. I remember hearing Pastor Rick Warren a number of years ago, who's the founder of one of the largest churches in America, a church named Saddleback Community Church in Southern California, And it's got about 25,000 people in it. And he wrote a book, you might have heard of it, called The Purpose Driven Life. It sold a few copies, like 40 million. And he was talking a few years ago about a conviction that he came to early in his ministry, which was uh, this resolution that he was never going to criticize another ministry. He has decided, he made this resolute commitment, I am not going to criticize any other ministry which, of course, he got criticized for because that's what we people do really well. But he said, I'm not going to criticize another ministry because it's not my job and I don't know the whole story. And that is so freeing, my friends, not to play judge or jury over other people's lives, even over our own lives in the comparison trap and just say, God, I give this to you. And I want to follow that example, that my job is not to critique. My job is to love and to build up and to encourage. Now, one quick caveat, there is a place for critiquing ideas, isn't there? There's a proper and appropriate place for critiquing ideas. And make no mistake, there are some ideas that are better than other ideas. If you flip the page to chapter 5, which we won't go to right now, Paul takes pains to critique an idea that has come to roost in the church in Corinth that has led to incest in the church. And this little church, again, of 50 to 100 people, have been allowing this man to commit incest and still stay in good fellowship within the church. We don't have problems here. We're doing pretty well, you know. Like, they just allowed that to happen. And Paul says, no, no. That's a horrible idea. Don't allow that to happen. You must critique ideas because some ideas are better than other ideas. That's a really bad one. A really good one is the biblical framework for sexuality. That's a really, really good idea. So we should critique certain ideas and encourage others. But you've got to be so careful doing that. And we just have to admit, we have to be really, really careful doing that. And the moment you get life, You get a sense of yourself. You get a sense of pride. Out of critiquing other ideas, then perhaps you also are critiquing other people and feeling a little bit better about yourself in the process. 
No, what Jesus invites us to, and it's very plain in the scriptures, again and again throughout the scriptures, it's very, very plain, is to love people right where they are, to encourage them right where they are, to move them more toward Jesus. Yes, to critique ideas, but even when we disagree with each other, to do so in an agreeable manner and not have the stench of judgmentalism on us. Look at verse 3 on the screen and read this out loud with me. Would you please read this out loud both here and in the venue? It's so beautiful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Man, that's freedom. That's freedom. I can't be judged by you or by any human court. I don't even judge myself. I'm not even qualified to do that. He's not pridefully going like this. Ugh, only God can judge me as we say in our culture. He's not pridefully doing that. He's saying only God can judge me. You see the difference? You see the difference? God can judge me, and he will, and only he can judge me. And I'm going to aim at God's will 100% of the time. I'm going to aim for it. I'm going to strive for it. I'm going to go for that, and, and God is the only righteous judge. I can't even judge myself. I don't even know myself so completely as God knows me. Allow me to give an example of self-judgment and comparison and how it has a way of robbing our joy. This comes from a magazine article, an interview with Madonna, which men in the room, I want you to know I did not read Vogue magazine. This was sent to me. Men, okay. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. I just don't want you men to be comparing yourself to me right now, okay? That's why I say that. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Oof. I'll say this about Madonna. She is honest there, and she's courageous there. She actually takes off the mask, and she courageously says, this is my struggle. I feel like I've made it when I do something great, and other people give me applause, and then I'm somebody. But then I, I say, boy, I have to wow the crowd once again. I have to do something more spectacular. I have to do something more shocking, or else maybe I'm not somebody. That's one idea. That's one very common idea for how to live. We see that all over the place today. That's one very common idea. But Paul is trying to, by contrast, show us a different idea. So he says in verse 2, Now it is required to those who have been given a trust that we must simply prove faithful. This is the other way of living. You have been given a trust. You have been given an inheritance. And what you must do with it is this. You must simply prove yourself faithful with what God has given you. Another way of putting this is the inheritance that God has given you is like a backpack, okay? That you've been given a backpack of stuff. And inside your backpack is something different than what's inside my backpack. Inside my backpack are certain abilities and certain family members and certain strengths, and certain weaknesses. 
and certain failures inside my backpack and certain successes inside this backpack, and you have a different set of them. But God has given me a trust with my abilities and my gifts, my talents, that I must prove faithful. That your backpack, whatever's in it, you must prove you must prove faithful. And you're not going to be judged based on what God has put in my backpack. And I'm not going to be judged based on what God has put in your backpack. And so therefore, I don't need to compare myself to Pastor so-and-so anymore. I can pray for Pastor so-and-so now. I can want his success now because God's given him a different backpack than me and he's fighting for the kingdom too. Now, do you see how this frees us from the comparison trap to realize that God has given each and every one of us a trust, an inheritance, a backpack, and with it, we must prove ourselves faithful. Friends, God's only going to judge you on two things. Number one, please hear me. If you're brand new here, you've got to hear me. He's only going to judge you on two things. Number one, what did you do with his son, Jesus Christ? And how you respond to that will determine your eternal, your eternal life. What did you do with the Son, Jesus Christ? That leads to eternal life or not. And number two, what did you do with the backpack you were given? What did you do with the trust? What did you do with the inheritance that you were given? You personally. And that determines your eternal reward. What did you do with Jesus? That determines eternal life. What did you do with your inheritance? With your trust, that determines your eternal reward. And this is the foundation of joy. Being faithful every day with what God has given you. Comparison is the thief of joy that leads to either envy or pride. But joy is found in being faithful to what God has given you. And living faithfully out of that, out of what your heavenly Father says about you, and out of what he has given you. And this is what your heavenly Father says about you. Right there. That you're more than enough. That if you're in Christ, you are more than enough. That the verdict is out about you. That you don't need to judge yourself. You don't need to be judged by anyone else because he's already given a verdict about you. You have the freedom to actually say, I am not to be judged by any human court of opinion, nor am I even qualified to fully judge myself. Only the Lord can do that. Now, how does Paul say that? He says it because he knows the verdict is already in about him and he's more than enough in Christ. He realized that he is loved. He realized that he is forgiven. He realized more than being forgiven, he is adopted into the family of God. And in Jesus Christ, he is more than enough. And so he says, other people can't really judge me because God has judged me. And he says, I am enough. And my responsibility at this point is merely to live faithfully with what he has given me. That's your responsibility now, to live faithfully with what God has given you, that he's embraced you, that he's brought you into his family through faith in Jesus Christ, that he brings you out of the mud, that he gets you unstuck, and that he changes your identity, that once you were lost, but now you're found, that once you were not forgiven, but now you are forgiven, that once you were not a child of God, but now you are a child of God, that 
out of that, out of that approval from God, out of being more than enough, you now get to live faithfully and joyously with what God has given you. I, I hope you know how good this is. I, I, I pray you believe this and you live out of this. Like, there's no other worldview that says this. Every other worldview does this. Performance and then verdict. Every other worldview is performance first, verdict second. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ is it verdict first and performance second. Only in the gospel of Christ do you hear the words, I love you, you are my child, you are forgiven, not based on anything that you do. Now go and live joyously out of that. Go serve me joyously out of that. Like if you think of atheism, you're just merely on an island if you're an atheist. It's me against the world. Can I prove myself to others? You think about Buddhism. It's can I possibly do enough good things in this world, in this life, that I might be reincarnated to a better place in the next life? It's performance before, ver before the verdict. You think of American consumerism, which we are surrounded by today and maybe you're stuck in today. And American consumerism says, I must prove myself by acquiring more stuff. I must prove myself by having a better car, by having a better truck, by having a better phone, by having better clothes, by having a bigger house. I must prove myself and then verdict second. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ is it verdict first. Performance out of that. I pray for you that you know you are more than enough in Jesus Christ if you've given your life to him. And he's given you a backpack that you get to faithfully serve him from that. Not comparing yourself to anyone else, looking up to God and saying, how do I do my best with what you have given me? And you do that. You go back to your identity. You go back to being a servant of Jesus. Comparison has no place. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I am so, so grateful. I don't have to compare myself to people anymore. I'm so thankful, Lord, that I don't have to look at all the ways that I'm not as good as Pastor so-and-so. I'm so thankful, Lord, that I don't have to size myself up and measure myself negatively or fear someone else. I'm so thankful, Lord, that I can be freed of being judge and jury over other people's lives. I can just leave that to you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I praise you. And I thank you, Lord, in the words of this beautiful song that we're about to sing, that I am who you say I am. And my brothers and my sisters in this room who have actually given their hearts over to Jesus, who have actually surrendered to him by faith, you are just who he says you are. And who he says you are is this, beloved child of God, friend of God, more than enough in Christ. And now you joyfully get to live out of that. Father, would you give us courage as we go forward this week not to enter into this comparison trap. It steals our joy every time. 
We want to give you your right over our lives. You are the only sovereign authority and king, and we love you for that. We give you ourselves, God. We admit that we can get stuck in this comparison trap, and we don't want to anymore. So, Father, as we sing, would you give us an abandon now to sing to you that we are just who you say we are. We love you, God. Thank you for making that so. In Jesus' name, amen.